Welcome to Car Wash, the podcast, your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. So put it in neutral, feed off the brakes, and take your hands off the steering wheel, because here we go. Here is your guide on this journey, David Begin of Begin Insights. Hello, Car Wash Nation. Welcome to this episode of Car Wash the Podcast. This is David Begin. I've got a special guest today, Curtis Wade, who's the Vice President of Sales for Oasis Car Wash Systems in, is it Galena, Kansas or Galena? Galena, yes, Galena. sir. Galena, okay. Well, I got it right the second time, which is a suburb of Joplin, Missouri, I guess. Right. Thanks for being on, Curtis. I appreciate it. And this is going to be good for me because I need to learn a little bit more about the Embay Automatic and self-serve world. I I've been a tunnel guy all my life, but this particular segment of the car wash industry is still very alive and, and well. It'd be a little premature to predict the death of self-serves and in-bay automatics. I totally agree. It's stronger now than it has been in several years, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, your company is one of the ones I love talking to because you've got a heritage. I love talking to heritage car wash companies, people have been in it for a long, long time. And it's been a family-run business, which has been super cool. Yes, we've been around since 1964. Our dad actually started the company. We didn't start doing car washes. Back then, we did cattle equipment, you know, farm-related items, head gates, squeeze chutes, you know, hay handling equipment, all kinds of things. And then he started the car wash division in the early 1980s. So we've been doing car washing in the automatics and self-serve equipment since then. So your dad, Jerry Wade, started the company, I think. Did he start it with his cousin or brother-in-law? Or? Brother-in-law, yeah. Started with his brother-in-law, Phil Geisler. And they owned it together up until the time that they both retired. And that was in the early 90s. What was his background? Was he a mechanical engineer? No, he wasn't. He was a jack of all trades and master of none. Oh, so, that's great. I yeah, love that. yeah. He, he didn't have a college education, but was one of those guys that was handy with about any area, whether it was mechanical, electrical. Dad just had a knack for building things and designing things. Of course, he hired engineers to help as time went on. He was just good at what he did. Self-taught. I love people like that that can figure it out. My uh, stepfather-in-law was a grass seed farmer in West Texas. And he was one of those guys too, you know, he would figure out ways to harvest grass seed, design equipment, and, you know, he would just figure it out and get the help that he needed. And I loved that about him, you know, that you didn't really need a formal education if you had a good brain and you were willing to figure things out. That's exactly right. And, you know, school of hard knocks and just experience. And I mean, they were good at what they did. I would put dad up against a whole lot of guys coming out of college with uh, engineering degrees in a lot of different areas, not just one, but I mean, because he was, he was really talented in many areas. Yeah, that is so cool. I, I love hearing about the heritage of the car washing, like, you know, talk to Paul Fazio and his dad, Sonny, and what he did. And I just like talking to the old school guys who really got this industry where it is today, but it's still a family run business. It is. There was four of us brothers. Uh, we're down to three. Lost one a few years back with a, an accident, tree accident, but so Steve, which is our president, as well as he does a lot of the engineering or helps run the engineering side of our company. There's Troy, helps take care of our marketing needs, 
as well as our purchasing in that area. And then I just do some sales and they don't really know what all I do. And I like to keep it that way. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're a sales guy, you, you can stick and move and, yeah, you know, yeah. they're like, well, what's he know? Oh, we don't really know what he's doing, you know. I love as it. long as sales are happening, they don't that's care. That's right. They don't care. <laughs> they don't care. That's great. Steve is a mechanical engineer. Does anyone else have an engineering background? Or? Well, we've got engineers on staff, but the okay. rest of us do not have engineering backgrounds, no. Okay. So that's nope. good. So what prompted your dad to get started in car washing from farm equipment? It was interesting. There was a fellow that approached our dad. This would have been in the early 80s, back when Jimmy Carter was in the office and gasoline prices went historically high, you know, up in the 70, 80 cents a gallon. Yeah. Cars got smaller. And this gentleman worked for a, a car wash company, but he had this vision of an automatic that would size to smaller cars because, you know, at, up until that point, all that there was was a monorail automatic that ran around. It didn't matter whether you was in a big, long Cadillac or by now, since the gasoline prices got high, of course, some of the cars got smaller. And so the small cars would go into one of these monorail automatics and they wouldn't get a very good wash. Well, he recognized that, had this vision of an automatic that would size to the vehicles and knew dad and knew he had the abilities both from the engineering and, ma and manufacturing to put something together. So he approached dad and said, hey, I'd like to work with you to come up with this adjustable automatic. And they made an agreement, joined forces. Dad designed an automatic, built a car wash here in Galena, you know, prototyped the equipment, got this thing all ready to go to market. And the guy that approached dad was going to be the sales arm of that division. Well, he, this guy died. So now dad's got this product that he's got a couple of years or two or three years of investment in and time and money and, and nobody to go sell it. And that's where Steve came into the picture. At the time, Steve was in Houston and worked for another company in sales. And dad called Steve and said, hey, uh, I've got this product that I need someone to help me sell. And so Steve came back and that's how he got into the car wash business. And the first automatic, they called it the uh, 8500 Adjustomatic. They took it to the first trade show, ICA trade show in 1985. That's where it got its 8500. Okay. From. And today we still build that same machine, although it's changed many times over the years, but we call it our Typhoon. So our model Typhoon has been in continuous production since 1985. That's amazing. Yeah, you guys have kind of gone and built a lot of different products. But do you prefer the term in-bay automatic or rollovers? Or does it matter to you? It doesn't matter. Both terms get thrown around. I probably use in-bay automatic more, but I'll go with the flow. If a customer or someone I'm talking to uses the rollover term, then that's fine with me. I know what he means. Yeah, is that more of a historical term? Probably, yeah. I would say it probably is. Okay, yeah, I just didn't know if there was an actual formal term for it, but I do like in automatic better. I think it describes what's happening better. But you've got maybe four different products. Is that correct? Four different in automatics? We do. We've got a couple of different touch-free models. Of course, the Typhoon, which I've already talked about. And then we've got its little brother. We call it the XP. They built kind of on the same platform. 
One just washes cars faster than the other one. Mm-hmm. And then we build another one, a soft touch machine that we call our Baywash I-5. Any of those automatics can become what we call an eclipse model. And that is our in-bay tunnel. So it takes a longer building. There's other options that you can add to it. But you get basically you've got a washing and a drying room where you're doing multiple things at the same time. Okay. When people throw out the term, I got a 4-2, what does that mean? Because I always get confused. Yeah, they're talking about the hand wand bays, or the that's the four, and the two would be the automatics. So it'd be a four-bay self-serve with two automatics. That's what a four and two is. Okay, so the four would be the self-serves and two would be the embays? Right, that's correct. So typically the smaller number is the embays and the larger number is the self-serves. That's correct. Okay. So when people come to you and say, I think I want to build a car wash, and they're trying to consider the difference between a tunnel and a self-serve in-bay automatic, how do you guide them through that process and the considerations? There's a couple of, I think, key things. One is, of course, the traffic counts. Where are you putting it? What's the demographics look like? There are sites where maybe a tunnel does make more sense from a uh, traffic perspective, especially on the higher volume locations. Then you know, you get some of the lower numbers, 20, 25,000 car counts and down. It may make more financial sense to be doing the in-bay automatics. So demographics is part of that. The other part of it to me is, is just as important in a lot of cases is, you know, what's your personal lifestyle choice? Do you want the employees and the things that go along with tunnels? Or do you want to do the in-bay automatic thing that just stays open and kind of does its own, you know, runs itself for the most part? So those items, as well as what's the competition in the area, you know, how's that all serve up between the demographics and then what you want as a personal lifestyle choice? Okay. You know, in, in my consulting business for car washing, a lot of people that want to be new investors Their experience is the in-bay automatic self-serves and they don't see any employees and they think it just generates money and you don't have to be there, which in some cases that might be true, but. Well, not good operators. At some point you need to be there. You got to be there. In my opinion, somebody needs to be there every day. And I suppose it's the same, whether it's a self-serve in-bay type location or if it's a tunnel location, customers want a clean location. So it needs to be clean and it needs to be working all the time. So you got to be there to make sure those things are happening. You need to empty the trash, clean the bays, make sure the equipment's clean and maintained and that your chemical levels are where they need to be. So you've got to be at the site every day. Now that doesn't mean you have to have full-time employees at the site all day, every day, but you need someone there or yourself, at least in my opinion, every day. Yeah, no, I, I would totally agree with that. I think it's, you know, any good business is going to require somebody to be there and for the owner to be involved. I mean, there's very little, I don't know of any businesses, unless you know of one, Curtis, that, you know, is a passive income business. And certainly car washing is not, you don't have to be there all the time, but you've got to make sure you're maintaining your business and taking good care of it. Yeah, it's about as close to mailbox money as I know of, but you still got to be there. It's a business and you've got to run it, especially if you want to be there over the long haul. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So, you know, the Inbay Automatic self-serve market, maybe smaller towns, rural towns is a good target 
Right. And there is, I think, even in some of the larger locations, it depends on the demographics of where you are. You can be in some of the bigger towns, uh, maybe not on the main road where they've got a 35,000 car count, but maybe you're on a, in a section of town that's got a 15,000 car count. But there's a lot of housetops, a lot of apartments, a lot of people, resident type areas where maybe self-serve bays would be a big advantage too, because there are people still that want to go out there and wash them by hand. So there is a market for all that. I would say in the last two to three years, we've seen a big increase in the number of self-serve bays being built. You know, the amount of equipment that we're actually building and selling has gone way up in that industry. So for a number of years, before that, that industry was pretty flat. Whatever was there was there. There was a few new sites being built with hand bays in particular is what I'm talking about. But in the last couple of three years, including this year, there's a lot of new locations being built with hand wand bays and automatic. So that industry is certainly not dead. It's not. And I'm amazed. You know, we had a self-serve car wash next to our tunnel car wash. It might have been 500 feet away. And there'd be times it was just super busy. I'm like, people are lined up to go there because, you know, it could be a, a vintage car. You know, they don't want to run through a tunnel. For whatever reason, there are people that just love washing their own car. And that, I don't think that market's going away. Nope, I don't either. And, and as long as we're taking them out of the driveway, I'm good. And I'm good with, with either one. That's right. Me yeah. too. I think self-serves and in-bay automatics also give you a lot more flexibility. Like you said, in larger towns, you know, I think about Denver, Colorado, if you're going to buy an acre in the middle of town, good luck. You're not going to get an acre of anything. So what's the typical footprint do you tell people to start looking for when it comes to land size, if they're considering this model? Well, depending on what they're going to do, I've got guys that their model would be doing a single bay automatic, maybe a few vacuums on the site, and that's it. Those guys can look at land sizes between a small ass anyway, 10, 12,000 square feet. And that's big enough. So you can poke a, a site like that in a lot of places. Doesn't take a lot of room. The automatics and self-serve bays, of course, that's going to vary by the how big a site you do. But you're going to probably want a half an acre at least to start fitting a small site on with both hand bays and an automatic. Okay, so about a third of an acre is about as small as you can go? Yeah, that's about right. You might get a quarter of an acre for just an automatic, and then you need to be probably a half an acre or so. Depends on the size of the site, actually. Yeah, but it gives you a lot more flexibility. It gives you a lot more options, which I think I like in this day and age of trying to find land, being able to find something, a smaller footprint. You've got a lot more options than trying to find an acre, acre and a half. Yeah, we've got several customers that they're out doing like a one-bay automatic locations and they target towns of 10, 12,000 people and buy small pieces of property like that and put up those kind of sites and they keep them unattended. Like I said, they go by and clean them and check them and do all that. But you'll have one guy that'll put up, you know, a whole bunch of them. You can run a lot of those sites with just a very, very little help. I think it's a great strategy because it's a counterintuitive to the tunnel guys that are trying to run around, trying to find big sites and good sites, you know, you can kind of operate under the radar. Especially if you're looking in towns of 10, 12,000 people, there's not, you know, a lot of those can't support these big tunnels and the investment it takes to put a tunnel in. So what would you recommend a 
small tunnel. So for your Eclipse product, when would you make that recommendation to somebody? I look at the demographics. Does it justify? Because at the end of the day, whether this is a an in-bay automatic or a self-serve car wash or a tunnel, at the end of the day, this is still all about making money. So I try to look at the demographics and look at what gives the best return on investment. That's one area. The other thing to look at is if the area can justify the little bit of additional expense and a little bit larger land size you got to have to do the eclipse models, then also what's the competition in the area? What are you going to be competing against? So we have guys doing a lot of these eclipse models that they do go out and compete against the tunnels. They'll price their products the same way. They offer all the same features and benefits of a 120-foot tunnel or a big, long tunnel. They have the same price structure, the same you know club membership type things. They directly compete with it. The difference is a lot of them will do, they're, open, of course, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which is a plus. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them will do both. They'll do a, a touch-free eclipse, and they'll do a friction eclipse side-by-side, giving the customer a choice. And some of the things we've learned by doing that with different locations is that, you know, at the end of the day, the numbers are probably 50-50. There is about as many people want to go through the touch as there is that want to go through the touch-free. What is somewhat of a surprise is that on the club memberships, the club members prefer going through touchless systems and not touch. Interesting. It is. It is. I assume that's because they wash more often and they just feel safer about putting their car through touch-free. You know, that's fascinating because there's not that many touchless tunnels anymore. They're pretty much gone. And I always thought touchless, oh, it's this 1980s thing that somebody decided to market touchless. And I am still shocked at the number of people that came to our car wash and asked me if it was touchless. Is it touchless or does it have brushes? And I always cringed when they use that term brush it. No, 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 it's cloth, it's cloth. But there still is a market for people that like touchless car washes. And I I thought it went away and it's not gone away. And it's not going to go away. They do the same thing in the touch-free world as they've done in the touch world is that over time, technology has changed. Chemicals have changed. You know, things are a lot better and you can clean cars with touch-free very well. I think it's, you know, as a manufacturer, and somebody out there trying to sell equipment, I do tell people, I mean, you're never going to clean 100% of the cars 100% of the time. I don't care what the technology is. So if it's friction, if it can't touch it, it won't clean it. And there are shapes that's hard to get to, whether that's in an in-bay setting where a car's setting still and you're moving around the car, which you've got the best chance of actually touching a car because you're not trying to wash a moving object, or in a tunnel application. I mean, if you can't touch it in a touch machine, you're going to leave some dirty spots. And in a touch-free world, you get to everywhere, but there are some cars that's going to come in so dirty or haven't been washed in a long time, and they may not leave clean. So they both work well the vast majority of the time, but there's always going to be those that leave with a dirty car or a dirty spot. Yeah. I certainly understand that. It's always been a problem in the car wash industry. And that's what I love about the unlimited program now is those are your best customers because A, they know how to wash their car. They know how to load on the conveyor if they're going to do that. Their cars are typically clean anyway. So 
you know, you're not getting this quality problem. It's the guy that comes in and washes his car every three months or six months that has this expectation that their car is going to get perfectly cleaned. And we never mind running them through again, but it's like, you got to wash your car more often if you want it to be clean. <laughs> right. You know, this is not, not going to get clean if, if you don't wash it very often. So I was telling you earlier before we started recording, as an investigative journalist, I flew to Driggs, Idaho to look at your latest installation. And I actually washed my car. I paid for the big wash. And I have been bad mouthing touchless car washes forever. And I never used them. And then I took this, it was a rental car. So it wasn't terribly dirty, but I was extremely impressed on how well the touchless did. And I was like, man, I have been, I have been converted that touchless isn't a bad thing. No, it is a very good product. There are areas of the country where that's the preferred technology, especially when you get into the real heavy mud areas. A lot of guys don't want to do friction equipment. Some of that is regional, but you know, there's areas where the touch is the dominant technology, but there's also areas where the touch free is the dominant technology. Yeah. So I, I was super impressed with that. So what do you have to do differently in a touchless tunnel than you do a cloth? A cloth gives you some advantage. Yep. It's a great cleaner, but what are you doing from a technology operations standpoint in touchless? A lot of it is about the chemical. Your chemical costs are probably higher with a touch-free than they are with touch. And again, some of it may be regional, where a lot of parts of the country that we actually do a two-step process where not only are you using an alkaline product, but you're also using an acidic product, pre-soap products to clean the car. The temperature of the alkaline product is critical. You need to put it on a car at a high temperature. And of course, water quality is important, no matter what kind of wash you're going in. And then one of the things we really like and sell a lot of are the zero-degree oscillating nozzles. They add a lot of additional impact of the water to the vehicle. And man, it makes a difference on not just the, the cleaning, but also the experience the customer has. And it does do a good job cleaning. Yeah, I think, so you got to have good pressure. You got to maintain that water pressure and if you're putting chemistry in the car, like a pre-soak, it's got to act quick, right? Because you don't have a lot of time to let the stuff dwell. So that's why you have to have a higher temperature water Correct. to make sure that pre-soak is activated. But I mean, I got triple foam. I got the whole deal. And then I actually got the drying at the end, which was interesting. And the configuration of the drying, I wasn't sure how to do it, you know, because the dryers were at the end of the, end of the bay. And I, I was kind of driving through and I saw a timer as the timer was going down. And I didn't know if I drive slowly through there or kind of what to do with that. But it dried the car, you know, got it mostly dry. Yeah, they're blowers. No matter what you do, you're never going to get a 100% dry car. I don't care where you're going and how many dry banks of dryers there are, there's still going to be some water left. That mm -hmm. is one of the advantages of our Eclipse model is not only can you get a really clean car, but you get a really dry car because of the the amount of time that you're setting in a dry, but you're actually, number one, you're in a dry bay, you know, haven't washed a car in there. So nothing's dripping on the car off of the walls or ceiling or equipment. And then you've got more resident time over the vehicle because you're going from front to back and back to front. You can make multiple passes. It just does a really good job drying cars. So is the amount of time a car is in the tunnel or the bay, is that a consideration? I mean, do you try to drop the time or... Does that cause a problem for customers or customers that use in-bay automatics? 
People won't wait in line. That's real long. If they know it's a three or four cars deep and it's going to be, you know, 10 minutes a car, you're not going to keep very many people waiting. Most of them are going to either leave or not stop once they figure all that out. So throughput is important. That's where our typhoon model has been so successful is that it washes cars at a rate at least twice as fast as any in-bay automatic out there. That's been a real plus for that machine. You can wash a lot of cars per hour as in-bays go. And so that is important. It's one of those things that you look at, again, at the demographics and the location and determine from that, is that a typhoon site or is that something slower will be fine just because you're not going to wash as many cars through there. So you, you look at all that. When it goes to the eclipse bays, no matter which model it is, the way the dryers are set up typically is the dryer time is shorter than the quickest wash package. So it never becomes the bottleneck. Okay. That keeps your production up through the, the bay. So that gives you the opportunity to maybe have kind of a hybrid between an in-bay automatic and a tunnel. Yeah, it does. It does. And you know, we do tire shiners. We do all the all the same things that they do in the big, long conveyorized sites we do in the Eclipse model. Very cool. I think that's a great, great option for a lot of people. So in an in-bay automatic, do you, it's about 10 to 12 cars per hour. Is that what you're expecting? Typically, our in-bay automatics, we run in our, our slower units, or our Model XP and our Model I-5. They're really about a 15, 16 car an hour machine. And the reason for that is we're doing, through our Model XP, we actually wash three surfaces of the car at one time. So it doesn't take as long to make a pass over a car or around a car. In our Model I-5, that's off-touch, it's a five brush, so you're doing both sides of the top at the same time. In our Model Typhoon, that's more of a, oh, probably averaging 25 uh, car an hour, 28 car an hour machine because you're actually washing all five surfaces of the car at one time. So we've got some really high throughputs through our touchless equipment as well as our friction. Hey, we're going to go ahead and end this particular episode with Curtis Wade and Oasis Car Wash Systems. And we'll have part two next week. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you being a listener on Car Wash the Podcast. Let your other car wash friends know that there is a professional car washing podcast. They can pick it up at Car Wash Magazine and go to podcasts if they want to listen on the website or they can find it anywhere that you find podcasts. So for David Begin, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time on Car Wash the Podcast. Car Wash the Podcast is your source for real stories and real business insights from the experts, both in and out of the car wash industry. Our show helps investors, owners, operators, and managers think about ways to enhance their business. Our podcast is a free, on-demand audio program that provides information on the latest trends impacting the industry, tips from successful industry leaders, and inspiration for our listeners.